Here's verses 1 and 2. Chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's verses 1 and 2. Um, before we get into it, um, one other thing I want you to know is chapter. Uh, the Bible wasn't written with chapters and verses. I, I'm sure you knew this, um, but the Bible, you know, John didn't write verse 1. Um, in the beginning, he didn't do it that way. So um, whenever it's all going together, and these little divisions, you know, in my, in, I'm in the ESV. At the top it says the word of life, and then chapter 2 is conveniently titled Christ our Advocate. Um, all those things were added later. John didn't write those things. Um, it was just all kind of one, one thing going. As a matter of fact, it didn't have spaces. Um, it didn't have punctuation. It was just they're, they're trying to conserve paper. So it's just letters after letters after letters after letters. And so ideas flow together from chapter 1 to chapter 2. Um, and, and these spaces will sometimes take our minds away from that fact. Um, so verses 1 and 2 really are connecting through 5 through 10. Um, 5 through 10, as we've been talking about the past two weeks, are about confession and repentance. And we've talked about confession and repentance. And, and today, um, the idea is, take, is, is, is carrying into chapter 2. Um, it's just that he's going to point us to Jesus now because he's, he's talked about confession and repentance and how we're supposed to confess our sin um, as Christians and what that means. And now he's going to point us to Jesus, the one that makes everything, um, the one that we're supposed to confess our sins to and the one that makes us clean, the one who uh, is our advocate, who is our propitiation, all these things. Um, I don't know if you've ever uh, watched TV lately, but there's one thing that I've kind of noticed and it used to be really, really dominant maybe about five years ago. Uh, but there's uh, these <clears throat> commercials for prescription drugs. Have you ever seen these things? Um, they have like people running on the beach and they have puppies in boxes. And, you know, the woman opens up her curtains in the sun. And so it's just kind of showing you everything's glorious if you take this prescription drug. And so it's just showing like meadows and whatever. I don't even, I've never really been to a meadow before. I just thought it'd be a fun word to use. But um, they, they, have all these, uh, they have all these great pictures of beautiful things. And it's making you think, all right, if I take, you know, flimiflam, then my life is going to be amazing when I take this. And so at the very end of the thing, and it says some side effects may be explosive vomiting, excessive diarrhea. So they throw in this big list, but you don't hear the list because you just see the beautiful pictures of the woman running on the beach and, you know, everything's fine now. Um, and I think that if we're, if we're not careful, and, and here's the deal, um, sin is the exact same way. Sin looks like, you know, oh, look at the great glorious thing. And then at the very end, there's this little thing that says sin's going to have all these side effects, but we don't hear the side effects because we look at the great thing that sin's enticing us into, this beautiful picture of, wow, this is going to be so great. But when you get into it, all the side effects, all the terrible things of, you know, chronic headaches and explosive vomiting or whatever, like... Um, wait a second, I didn't know that sin was going to mean this. I didn't know that sin was going to mean that I'm going to have this relationship broken. That I didn't know that my fellowship with God is going to be altered or not enhanced as I would like it to be. Sin is really um, not as pretty and not as precious as I thought it was going to be. As a matter of fact, it's the exact opposite. Um, and so John is wanting to keep us from that. My dear little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Now, we looked at eight, uh, 5 through 10, and as we look through 5 through 10, he keeps pointing us to confession, 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 and repentance. Um, and, and verse 9 particularly. And as he's doing that, um, he's saying, 
In verse six, there's in, in verse eight, there's really two different kinds of people. In verse six, it's people that he's saying, if you say you have fellowship with God, but walk in darkness. So he's talking about Christians um, that just habitually are in sin. And then verse eight and verse 10, it starts off. If you say you have no sin, if you say you have not sinned. So he's talking about Christians who think they've actually reached perfection. So they're, they're talking about Christians, but they're but they're different. Verse six and verse eight and ten are different. One Verse 6 is those who are Christians who just walk in continual sin. Verse 8 and 10 are those who are Christians but think they've actually reached perfection. Like, you ask them, what's going on with you? If, you're, if you know them really well, what are the sins in your life? And you're like, you know, can't really think of anything. Thinking pretty good. Uh, matter of fact, I don't have any sins going on in my life right now at all. Both of those people, whether they think they have no sin or whether they are completely entrenched in sin, both of those people, verse 9 is their, is their answer. You need to confess your sin. You need to confess your sin. Now, here's the danger. Here's the danger. Um, if you keep telling people, no matter what, as a Christian, once you've been justified, once you've, put Christ, you've asked Christ in your life, or you've put your faith in Jesus, and all your sin is covered, all the sins you've ever done, past, present, and future, has happened, then most people are going to say, all right, um, Whichever person I am, if I think I've reached perfection or if, I've, if I just sin all the time, um, since Christ in the cross and I put my faith in Him has forgiven me of every single sin I've ever done, well then, um, isn't that really just okay? Like, it doesn't matter. And some people say, you can't, you can't tell people every sin's forgiven. You can't tell them. Because all they're going to do is take that as a license to go out and sin. They're just going to say, well, no matter what I do, it's going to be okay. I can just do whatever I want. But John doesn't think that way at all. He's not, he's not even um, in that same idea because he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. His idea is just because you have put your faith in Jesus, just because all your sin is forgiven, that's not going to cause you to say, I'm going to go sin more. That's going to cause you to say, I don't want to sin I want to stop sinning because of my affections for Jesus. So it's supposed to cause less sin to happen in your life, not more. Um, now, there could be com some confusion about this. Because you could say, why do I need to confess then? Why do I need to confess? If everything's forgiven and I'm going to just know that since my affections have been stirred for Jesus, I'm going to sin less and less, do I really need to st still keep confessing my sin over and over? Um, isn't that just... Wrong? Isn't that what non-Christians do, but not me? Um, first of all, this confession that's, that's being told to believers to do is not salvific, meaning it is not going to cause you to be saved. You are saved. It's not a condition for salvation. Um, and you can also say, well, <clears throat> um, what happens then if there's all kinds of sin in my life that I don't confess? Um, what if I just don't even know about it? You know, I got all these things going on in my life. What if I don't confess them all? Does that mean that now somehow I'm out of relationship with Jesus? M maybe not. You don't have to confess all your sin. Um, if you know it, it, it's not about like stopping for an entire day and just thinking, okay, what are things that I don't even know about that I need to think about so that I confess so I can make sure I have a right relationship with Jesus? Because if I don't confess it, it's all going to be gone. And I don't know if I'm even going to have a good relationship with Jesus. The cross has made you justified. All right. So it's not about trying to make out this enormous list, racking your brain to think, I got to make sure I don't miss one. 
Um, the idea is you confess your sin when God makes you aware you have sin. Not because it's going to make you saved, but because he tells you to. He tells you to. You confess sin. That's what he wants you to do. If you don't, if you have known sin in your life, and you're not in a, in a pattern of daily confession and repentance, then fellowship on your, on your behalf or on your part is not, um, is not being enhanced with God as it should be. Fellowship on your part. Now, I'm not saying God's left you. I'm not saying in terms of your justification that you're not with Him anymore. But I'm saying you're, on your part, you are not going to know and feel and be with Jesus as close as you would like. So, whenever He reveals sin in your life, you confess it. Um, what happens if you miss Him? Nothing. It's not about lists. It's about your heart. It's about your heart. When you know you have sin, you confess it. Now, the reason why I say all that is this. Um, because John's going to point us all, all, the way back, all the way back to Jesus. He's going to say, it's not about license. I don't even expect you to have license. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And then he just points to Jesus so that we can have everything clear. All right, since it's not about lists, it's not about everything, what is it about? It's about Jesus. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. It's all about Jesus. Scripture is about Jesus. The gospel is about Jesus. Your heart and your affections are to be about Jesus. So that's what he wants to point you to. In your confession, it's not about your guilt. It's not about feeling bad. It's about Jesus and his glory. That's why you do it. So that you may not sin. Now, um, let's, look at, let's look at verse 1. Um, John's wanting us to keep balanced. And this is what he says. My little children. So he starts off with my little children. John is probably very old in age at this time. The only disciple that didn't get killed. All the other ones got put to death um, and were martyred. John got to be the only one, which we see in the, in the very end of the book of John, how Jesus tells him he's going to be the one that gets to live and Peter still has to die. Anyway, back to John. So he's probably much older than all these people and he's writing to them and he's calling them my little children. Now, this is a kind of a pastoral term that he's using, a fatherly term that he's using for them. Because he's wanting them to see and he's wanting them to be reminded that he loves them, that he deeply, deeply loves them. This is a good thing for a pastor to do, a pastor or a father figure as far as someone who looks over you as far as a leadership elder kind of person should constantly be doing in a way, uh, should constantly be trying to make it clear to people that are in the church or under his care that he loves them. So, um. If you hear me like coming up to you, I'm not going to call you my little children, but one little thing I've kind of been convicted is, is that I feel like I should, as much as I can, convey, because I, I, Christy helps me with this a lot. Um, I, I don't, a lot of time, I try to, but I don't show love as, as good as I should. I'm not as caring and as loving as I should be. So one of the things that I've been convicted about is I want to be more loving. And, and I'm not going to start calling you my little child and things like that and patting you on the head. But um, I do want to show you more... Um, fatherly pastoral love in a, in a sense now right after this he says i'm writing to you so that you may not sin so that you may not sin because he loves them because he's a pastor to them we see in this sentence that his deepest desire is their holiness his deepest i don't want you to sin my deepest desire for you is your holiness now right now if you're not in sin if someone tells you, my deepest desire for you is your holiness, you're going to like that. You're going to think that's great. 
I don't have any sin right now. He loves me. He wants my holiness. He's not, I don't have anything going on right now. So he's just going to um, show me kind affections right now. He's going to try to train me and point me in right directions. If I have a problem, I can come and I can say, where do I go here? And he wants my holiness. And he's going to say, go that way. Don't go this way. And I'm going to walk that and I'm going to be in holiness. If you're not in sin, this is great news for you. Um, if you are in sin, it's still great news, but it's not going to feel like it. Because I, I want, and Jesus wants your holiness. If you're in sin, and usually when you're in sin, you're blind like the prescription drugs. And so when I come up or a friend comes up and they say, this is what I see in your life. I, uh, I saw you speaking to your wife the other day. It's just, that's not Christ-like. Um, did, you really, did you really do that? I saw you, or... You seem to be spending a lot of time with that person that's not your husband or wife. Um, the other day I heard you gossiping about her. Um, I don't think... Whenever that happens, then all of a sudden, someone who loves your holiness becomes a little bit of an enemy because you have a hard heart just like me, and no one likes to be shown their sin. No one. But hear me, all right? Hear me. If someone is pastorally, is loving, and is saying, my little children, I, I'm writing these things so you might not sin. If they show you loving affections constantly, when they come up and point out your sin, and you know they love you, you know they love you, you should be more receptive. So that's a good, that's a good um, challenge for all of us. First of all, be loving towards people so that w- whenever you want to point out their holiness, they're ready to listen. The second side is, um, when someone comes and points out your sin, know that they want your holiness not for you to get mad and feel bad about your sin. We all feel bad about our sin. I mean, there's no question about it. I think of sin I do, and it troubles me deeply. I hate it. And when people show it to me, especially especially those who are close, it makes me a little bit mad. But I shouldn't be mad because I should know they don't want to just say, ha-ha, look at your sin, like JC does whenever she takes Karis' ball away from her. Ha-ha, I have your ball. It's not like that. That's my daughter's. Um, it's, I love you. I want your holiness so when I say things to you, know that I care. And so we need to be the kind of people that show that we care. All right, so I'm writing these things, these things to you so that you may not sin. But, but, now he's keeping a good balance here. John's keeping a good balance. Um, but if anyone does sin, there's a couple things I want to show to you here. Um, first of all, this is, I would say, the second biggest but in the Bible. The first one's Ephesians 2.4. Ephesians 2, 4 just shows how wretched we are in verses 1 through 3. It actually calls us the followers of the devil. And it says, but God has sent his son. So that's, I mean, that's huge. We were devil worshipers, but God gave us his son. I would say this is close to the second. Because he's saying, I'm writing to you that you may not sin. But if you do sin, it's not going to be held against you because Jesus has paid the price for you. Jesus is your advocate. Jesus is your righteousness. Jesus is your propitiation. This is a huge, huge but here. But after that, the next word is, is key as well. But if anyone does sin. He doesn't say, but when anyone does sin. I know what you're thinking. Y'all are just sinners. That's what I'm saying. Y'all are sin- you're laughing at the second biggest but in the Bible. You're, you're, la- you're a sinner. Because that's not what I'm saying. All right. Anyway, I've got to rephrase these things better. And I'm just typing and I'm just thinking, hey, this makes sense. And then I say it and then you laugh. And I'm like, all right, that didn't work. I got to rethink things. All right. But when, when, he doesn't say when, but if anyone does not sin. Notice he doesn't say, but when anyone does sin. All right. He is not 
and by any means saying sin's okay. He's saying if. Notice the sentence above that. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. His thought and his desire is holiness. You're not going to sin. He doesn't say, but when anyone sins, because I know what's going to happen. It's but if. You shouldn't be sinning. There's, there's no margin here for John to say, okay, you know what? You're human. Uh, you're going to sin. As a matter of fact, um, this is just a side note. It's more human for us not to sin than it is to sin. People say, I'm human, then I'll just sin. It's actually, the, that's wrong. It's more human for us not to sin. If we say, well, I'm just human, well, then what was Jesus? He was human. He didn't sin. What, who were Adam and Eve before they ate the fruit? Before their sinful nature, their, their human nature became corrupted. It's more human for us not to sin. Because Jesus was 100% human. He had no corrupt human nature. Our human nature is supposed to be perfect, like Jesus, like Adam and Eve before the fall, like our, our glorified body at the end whenever our human nature is restored to not be corrupted. So anyway, that's just a side note. So if John gives no margin here, he doesn't want us to sin at all. Um, it's not saying that we will. If anyone sins, we have an advocate. We have an advocate. What, is, what does this mean, advocate? All right. So here's the, there's three things I want, I want you to see today about Jesus. I'm going to move out of the way so you can see them. Um, three things. Three magnificent names of Jesus um, in the gospel. And that doesn't mean like I'm not calling the letter of John, the epistle of John here, in a, the gospel of John. I'm saying in the gospel, like the good news of Jesus. Um, John's going to say the good news of Jesus um, is that he came... And died on a cross for us on our sins. He lived a perfect life that we would never be able to live. He died for us. And then when he died for us, if we put our faith in that work, we can be righteous like he was. We can be declared righteous by God, have a restored, reconciled relationship with God, and we will one day be with Jesus in heaven. That's the gospel. And he says, there are three names that I'm going to call Jesus today. And in these names, I want you to... I want, they're loaded terms. And so I want to... I want to show you these three terms today as we're coming off of confession and repentance, showing you that God doesn't want you to sin. And then what we're going to do here is I'm going to throw, show you these three loaded terms. I'm going to unpack them for you. And we are going to worship like crazy because Jesus is worthy of all of our worship. And these three terms, even though I try to unpack them, even though they're loaded, I'm, I'm still not going to do justice for Jesus and how glorious he is because there's only three and it's not exhaustive. But we're going to worship him for how great he is. All right, so here's the thing. First one is that Jesus as our advocate. That's in verse 1. Jesus as our advocate. Look at what it says. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. That means Jesus is advocating for us. He's advocating for us. I want you to listen to this verse. Um, this is just a few... few uh, actually, I have it written down. Uh, Romans 8. This is Romans 8, chapter 30... I'm not chapter... Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Chapter 8, verse 34. This is talking about Jesus, and he's writing right now at the right hand of the Father, and this is giving a description of his work right now. This is what it says. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised. Listen to this, here it is. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Right now, Jesus, the Son, is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. He's standing beside him, Pleading our case to the Father. And the case that he's pleading is based on his death and resurrection. Um, 1 Timothy 2.5, when we're studying through 1 Timothy 2, um, 
It called Jesus our mediator. That means he is the one between us and God who is mediating for us, pleading our case. It says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. So what does it mean then? What does it mean for uh, Jesus to be our advocate? It means that right now, at the right hand of the Father, Father, he's interceding for us, taking up the cause, taking up the cause of every single believer. Every single believer. Now, you're thinking, how is that possible? There's a lot of believers. How can he do that? Well, he's God. He's God. He can do that because he's God. It's not like he's trying to name them all real fast. And Fudd and Nikki and Corey, it's not like he's trying to just name them all real fast pleading. He's God, and because he's talking to God the Father and he's God the Son, he can intercede for everyone constantly. And I, I want you to remember that this is a continual inter, intercession. All right, that's important. Um, Calvin is talking about this, and he says this intercession of Christ is a continual application of his death for our salvation. That means we are continually having the blood of Jesus applied to us as he continually appeals for us or intercedes for us, which means continual repentance makes sense. Not that we're earning favor, but because he is continually interceding for us. So he is um, taking up the cause for us. It's kind of like a lawyer. He's our counselor. He is um, our sinless lawyer taking up the case for us and pleading it before the Father on our behalf, and the, the coolest thing is, not only is he our lawyer, but he's also the one who died for us. You know, you think of law, and the lawyer doesn't actually go pay the penalty for, the, for his client. Jesus is magnificent. He is the lawyer. He's the one who paid the price. He's the one that's ruling the courtroom. He is standing before the Father, interceding for us continually. He is our advocate. Now, why is this a big deal? Why is this a big deal? Because, yes, you were forgiven all of your sin, Completely at justification. However, you are continually sinning. And I think, as a matter of fact, I'm positive that we go through day by day just forgetful of how sinful we are. We just forget. We just don't think about how sinful we are. But if we would think about that, then we'd be much more thankful, much more appreciative of the intercession or of Jesus being our advocate continually and that there is continual application of his death for us for our salvation. That's pretty amazing. Um, Now, because he's our advocate, because Jesus is continually interceding for us, these next two titles are kind of based on that or conditioned on him being our advocate. Um, because advocate, Because he's our advocate, he can be these next two things. He can be these next two things. Um, the, fir- the next one is this. All right, so we have, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus Christ, the righteous. So here's the next one. Jesus as our righteousness. Jesus as our righteousness. How, I've been, I've been thinking all week about this. How practically could this, Jesus Christ as our righteousness, if I say that, Jesus Christ is your righteousness. You're like, okay, Sunday school, what does that mean? How can that practically be relevant for you today? If I keep telling you, Jesus is your righteousness, how can that be practically relevant to you? Um, we come on Sunday, we, we stand here, we sing, we hear the word, and Sunday feels good. I mean, honestly, for all of us, Sunday should feel good. We have entered into the house, we've been in fellowship with believers, we've heard the word, we 
hopefully haven't committed these major atrocity sins this morning. It's not like you went off and, you know, did something terrible right before you came to church. Surely you're thinking, well, I certainly don't want to go, you know, do the horrible sin before I come to church. That makes me feel weird. So usually Sunday morning is a, now I'm not, I'm not erasing what you might have done Saturday night or Friday night, but that's my point. Um, we come here Sunday and we feel good. We sing these songs and then during the week, not Sunday, when we go out, we fall into sin. We find ourselves committing sins that we know we don't want to do, um, saying things we don't want to say, and the things that we should do, the right things that we should do, we find ourselves not doing those. But Sundays are great, right? On the whole. So why is Jesus Christ being our righteous, our righteousness relevant today? Um, how can a Christian, this is, this is unanswerable, rhetorical. How can a Christian, and we know the answer, um, how can a Christian who comes here on Sundays sing the glories of Jesus, feel, and I'm not trying to erase the subjective Holy Spirit leading and feeling of things, because I think that's important. God gave us emotions. We're supposed to engage in those. We're not supposed to like run away from emotions and everything needs to be objective facts. That's all I deal with. Um, there are true subjective things that God gave us emotions that we're supposed to feel things as well. They don't lead us. Objective facts lead us, but we, God gave you emotions. He wants you to, to feel engaged and feel loved by Him and love Him back. So how can we come here on Sundays and feel and hear and be so in connection with God, but then just a day later or two days later be finding ourselves in sin? And how can we, um, at least I think this, how can I feel so connected with God on Sunday, but then the rest of the week when I find myself in sin, how can I not say... I just don't know if I'm sincere. Am I sincere? I mean, is this, this following Jesus, is this Christian thing? I just, I just did this horrible sin. Am I really sincere in my walk? If you felt like that, which I'm, I'm guessing you have. Jesus Christ is your righteousness. That is the most relevant thing ever. When you're questioning your sincerity because you're finding yourself in sin throughout the week, sin you know you don't want to do, and you're not doing the right things you're supposed to do, Jesus Christ is your righteousness. When that sinks in, it changes. It doesn't mean you'll stop sinning. It means that you'll want to stop sinning, and you will, by God's grace, Lord willing, find yourself committing less and less and less sin but also being made aware of more and more sin you need to repent of. This is great, great, glorious news. Um, I, I, I like to multitask when I'm, on the, when, I'm on, when I'm driving. I've got this massive truck, and I'm pretty good at driving with my knees. I've got a good 20 years of experience now. I had to do the math. That's a lot of years. Um, I've been driving since I was 15. Yeah, I'm 35. So um, I like to multitask. And what I found is I like to... Uh, talk on the phone, um, and drink coffee, and, and drive, and, and do all this. So I have a lot of things going on sometimes. Um, and usually if I'm holding my coffee and I'm driving, I'm good. But if I get a phone call, then a whole new element of stuff comes in where I need my third arm that I don't have. And so I, uh, I try to talk on the phone, and when I'm talking, I can't put it on speakerphone because I can't hear that well. So I'm drinking the coffee the other day, <clears throat> and I'm driving down the road, and Christy calls, and so I'm talking to her, and I'm doing the knee deal, and I'm trying to hold my coffee, and so it's not working. So I, I have a 
for some reason, I'm not smart enough to use the travel mugs that have the lids. I like to, it just doesn't taste right when it's in those plastic cups. It needs to be in a mug with glass. And so I, I stick it between my legs and I'm driving and I'm holding the phone and I'm trying to do stuff and it's bumpy and all over the place. And, and I, I feel like, what the world? And so I look and then coffee's just splashing all over my pants. And so um, I'm just like, oh, and so I have a towel. I keep a towel that's just Man, it needs to be washed. So I have a towel that cleans everything. And so I'm trying to clean my pants. And so this is the coolest part. Um, I I pull up beside a a light, and there's an 18-wheeler that's, you know, high and can look in. And so he sees me with my towel cleaning my pants. And I'm just like, Christy, there's an 18-wheeler looking at me cleaning my pants right now. This is just... This is ridiculous. And so I, I come to the realization, I get to go through the entire day with this big coffee stain in my pants the rest of the day. This is awesome. Um, and so it's just, you know, kind of this huge mess. Um, but here's the greatest news. We have, this, uh, we have this amazing Jesus, our righteousness, that we don't have to live the rest of our life with this horrible stain that's been kind of tattooed on us or, or placed on us that we're going through the rest of our life and everybody gets to see, here's my terrible stain of sin. We have Jesus Christ, our righteousness, which means all the stain of all the sins you've committed are completely washed away. You're not going to walk through life. You're not going to be... Nervous and embarrassed by trying to hide the stains and the 18-wheeler guys are stuck looking in on saying, there's that stain, there's that horrible sin. Um, all of your sin that you have committed as a believer has been declared righteous. All of your sin has been declared gone. You have been washed and completely gone. So here's the deal. That sin... That sin that haunts you, that no one knows, that you don't want to confess to people, that sin that's in your past that you still feel guilty about. And you still think the stain of that still is impressed in. There's there's places where I go, or people that when I see them, or whenever I have a conversation, or one day when I have to see that person again, that stain of that sin is in my heart, and it can't go away. That's absolutely not true. You're not going to be trying to clean that off ever in your life. Jesus Christ is your righteousness. It is gone. It is 100% purified. You have been declared in the courtroom of God innocent. I mean, this news is astounding. It doesn't matter what you've done. When you put your faith in Jesus... The most horrible thing that you can think of you've done has been declared gone. There's no hiding it. As a matter of fact, those things God usually takes in our life um, and lets you have that as something where you can connect with other people that struggle with that and you can say, that sin you're dealing with, I had in my life. And you know what the gospel is? Gone. Gone. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It gives you more opportunity to glory in Jesus, glory in the gospel, and glory in his forgiveness. That it is not there. Jesus Christ is your righteousness. It's probably the most relevant statement ever. Now here's, here's the next part. And this is, well, they're all awesome. This is amazing. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and here it is. He is the propitiation. He is the propitiation for our sin. Now, there's been a lot of debate over the translation. This propitiation, the Greek word is hilosmos. There's been a lot of 
debate over how do, how do we translate hilasmos? How do we translate that? Um, and really, the way that's translated um, brings us into two whole realms of things we need to talk about. We're going we're gonna to unpack them very fast. If you want to talk about those things later, I can. Um, but the translation of this word hilasmos, um, depending on your, on your version... Um, an ESV, North, uh, New, North, New American Standard. I was going to say North American Mission Board for some reason. That's not a translation. Um, New American Standard, um, an ESV, and some of those word-for-word translations. <clears throat> we use the ESV here. It says propitiation. That's the word that it uses. And this, this, this word propitiation means um, the removal of or the appeasement of God's wrath. God's wrath, he had righteous, holy anger that was to be poured out upon you. And this righteous, holy anger was coming towards you. And propitiation is the appeasement of this wrath. Um, that's, now, some other words or some other translations um, have translated, like there's a word, there's a translation which you might not be familiar with. RSV translates this word expiate. Not propitiate, but expiate. Now, expiate doesn't carry this idea of God's wrath being put on you and then Jesus coming in and being where all this wrath was poured out, where Jesus appeased the wrath of the Father and you don't have to feel the wrath. It didn't like the idea of wrath. It didn't like the idea of anger. It, they didn't, God's not supposed to be angry. So they used the word expiate. Jesus, um, it says we have an expiation. He is the expiation for our sins. And this expiation just means um, cleansing. You have sin. You need to be cleansed away from that sin. Cool thing is John used the word cleanse already in verse 7 and, and verse 9, and he didn't use it here. But um, expiation. And so it's just talking about how you've been cleansed. Now, both of those things are true, but there's theological reasons why they're making those, those things because some people don't like wrath. And then NIV um, doesn't do either one. It just says he's the atoning sacrifice. He's the atoning sacrifice. He, his sacrifice atoned for us. And so, there's two things to consider as we talk about. One is the nature of the... When, we, when I say the word atonement, that's um, Jesus dying on the cross. When He died on the cross, He atoned for our sins. So when I say the atonement, I'm talking about Jesus dying on the cross. And as we look at this word propitiation, there's two things that we're going we're gonna to try to talk about really fast. One is the nature of the atonement, meaning um, what is uh, the right translation of that word and what... What does it mean when he atoned for our sins? And the other um, is the extent of the atonement. Um, meaning, who is the atonement it's extending to? What, what people is it attending to? Because there's a problem in verse 2 if we don't try to understand what the extent is. First, let's talk about nature. The nature of the atonement. Now, um, clearly, you're going to guess it. I, I think that it should be propitiation. Um, propitiation also carries the idea of expiation. Um, propitiation means, yes, God's wrath has been um, appeased by Jesus and you've been cleansed. So it carries both. Um, and so I think that's the right idea. I think that's what it should be. Um, what does it mean that this has happened for us? It means that God's righteous anger was, being coming, was coming towards us. Jesus um, stood in the way and all of this anger that God had built up. And he had to have righteous anger in order to be just. Of every sin, of every Christian was building up and all that anger had to be poured out on us. It's not like he could even just say, poof, I forget it. It's all fine. He has to, because he's God, pour out his righteous anger towards the sin. And so what he did is, his plan was to put Jesus there instead of me and you, which would have just obliterated us and we would be spending eternity in hell receiving that righteous anger eternally, which is awful. He said, 
I'm going to put Christ there. Christ, because he's God can, and he's infinite, can receive all of the infinite righteous anger I have built up towards you. And when that happens, you will be cleansed and you don't have to receive it. That's, that's unbelievable news. So the third one is that Jesus is our propitiation. This is amazing news to know that he has appeased the wrath of the Father for you. Now, um, we need to know that God was angry toward us. Now, when someone's angry towards me, and I don't know if this happens to you, but when someone's angry towards me, I, I just I hate the fact that someone's angry towards me. I don't like it at all. Um, and we're supposed to not like it. We're supposed to kind of think or consider someone's angry at me, and so therefore, since they're angry at me, I don't want them angry at me anymore. I say that to say because if God has told us that Jesus is our propitiation, not that we're supposed to go back and dwell on all the time, God was angry with me, but we're supposed to remember He was angry with me, but all of it was poured out on Jesus. Praise God, that is cause for me to worship. That's cause for me to worship. Now, the extent. I want to talk about this for a second. Um, It says, And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Also for the sins of the whole world. Now, Think about what we're saying. Jesus is the propitiation, not just for ours. He's talking to Christians, not just for... Actually, he's talking to that, those particular people there. Not just for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, if you think... He could be saying this. Jesus is not just a propitiation for us who are Christians, but also everybody. Now, if Jesus is the propitiation, the absorber of the wrath of God for every person that's ever lived... That means no one goes to hell. Why would they? Jesus has appeased the wrath of the Father for every single person. There's a problem here. Because the whole of the Bible teaches us that... And never, this, is, this idea is called universalism. Universalism means literally applying to all. It teaches that eternal life has been applied to all. Therefore, all people will go to heaven. That's what universalism teaches. Applied to all. Everyone... The, the cross has been applied to everyone, so everyone will go to heaven no matter what path they choose. Some can choose Christianity, some can choose Mormonism, some can choose Muslims. It's like this big mountain, and on the top is heaven, and whatever path you walk up the mountain, everyone magically gets there because of Jesus dying on the cross. So whatever path you choose, universalism. That's a problem. That's a big problem. The New Testament doesn't teach that. As a matter of fact, just the book of 1 John by itself um, tells us that he believes not everyone's saved. Just the book of 1 John, he, I'm going to give you a couple examples because we're running out of time of how John thinks. Not everyone's saved. I don't believe in universalism. Let me give you a couple. 2.4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Um, 2.23. 2.23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father. If you have the Father, you'll go to heaven. If you don't have the Father, you're not going to heaven. Um, 3.10. 3.10 says, By this is evident that we are children of God, and who are the children of the devil? Okay, if you're a child of the devil, <laughs> you're not going to heaven. So John, I'm just going to stop. John clearly believes not everyone's going to heaven. So John is not a universalist. So if John is not a universalist, what does this mean? All right. Um, Calvin says, and not for ours only, he says, 
Uh, John added this for the sake of amplifying in order that the faithful might be assured that the expiation or the cleansing that's made by Christ extends to all who by faith embrace the gospel. So he's saying, in a sense, all right, people who are receiving this letter, he's the propitiation for our sins. He's writing to Christians. People who are receiving this letter, he's the propitiation for our sins. And not just for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world, of those who will put their faith in Jesus. We have to know it means that because John is not a universalist. The entire Bible doesn't teach that everybody goes to heaven, but in fact, those who put their faith in Jesus. So from this hard text, we have to understand what it says by looking at the easier to understand texts, which is the whole of the New Testament. Um, I have more examples. I'm not really going to go into it about what the whole world literally means. I'm going to stop and just kind of move past all that um, because I think that you understand what I'm saying is that Jesus is the propitiation for us that are Christians and those who are Christians, um, the wrath of God has been appeased by Jesus for us, which gives us a great reason, a very great reason to celebrate and worship him. All right, so what does this mean? <clears throat> if Jesus Christ is our advocate, if Jesus Christ is our righteousness, and Jesus Christ is our propitiation, what's John wanting us to do? Why is he telling you these three things? Why is he wanting you to know that he's your advocate, he's your righteousness, and he's your propitiation? Because he wants your holiness. He's describing Jesus. And he wants, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Jesus is your advocate. Jesus is your righteous, righteousness. Jesus is your propitiation. And I want you to not sin. I want you to be holy. So he's telling you because God is jealous for your holiness. He's not at all indifferent to the way you live your life. He's not at all indifferent to it. As a matter of fact, he's very concerned about the way you live your life. If the gospel has come into you, the gospel has declared you righteous. Absolutely. But, however, you are, are called to pursue holiness in your life with a never ending hunger for holiness. Because Jesus is your righteousness, Jesus is your advocate, Jesus is your propitiation. So, forgiveness in advance. Which is what has happened for us. Forgiveness in advance for any sin that might occur is supposed to produce holiness. Every sin you've committed has been, has been forgiven. And it's supposed to produce holiness. So that we live under this amazing forgiveness that's been given to us. Sometimes... Uh, Sometimes when I'm, this only happens on laptops. I don't know if y'all have this. You know, you get the little mouse pad, the sensitive mouse pad. I'll be typing and I'll, and I'll be, I'll be um, writing a sentence and I'll, I'll, I'll look over and I'll come back and I'm like, wait, my cursor was supposed to be there. Where in the world did it go? And I'm, I'm looking all around. And I'll find the cursor like 25 lines up and I've typed this entire sentence inside of a word. I'm like, how in the world did it get all up there? I don't even, I'm totally lost about how this, how this even happened. Um, Christianity is not like that. It's not like we're supposed to be Everything's fine, and I look away, and then, oh, where did I go? We're not supposed to be lost as Christians. Um, he's declared us righteous. He's declared us holy. Um, we're, we're, as Christians, supposed to be walking down a path, not losing sight of Jesus at all. Not losing sight and walking off into sin. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. There's not this moment where you're just going to wake up 15 lines away. You're like, where in the world did this go? That's not John's intention. That's not God's intention. You're not supposed to be living that kind of life as a Christian. Finding yourself in places like, how in the world did I get here? 
and his prescription is to point you to Jesus and how glorious he is. And as he's pointing you to Jesus, and as you're walking through life, and as you're being made aware of sin in your life, the ones that you know, confessing, resting in the forgiveness, resting that he's advocating for you right now. Right now, he's standing by God's right hand, advocating and interceding for you. Right now, saying you're righteous. Right now, remembering that he is my propitiation, all the wrath of God. Wave after wave that was supposed to be intended for me, went on him. It's not supposed to make you feel guilty. It's supposed to make you feel worshipful. Worship-filled. I'm going to close with this verse. This is, this is just an amazing verse. And I hope this really leads us into our time of worship. This is the book of Isaiah 26. <clears throat> this is what I think our attitude is supposed to be when we hear these truths. In the path of your judgment, O Lord, we wait for you. In the path of your judgment, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and your remembrance. Some translations will say your renown. Your name and your remembrance are the desire of our souls. Is that true of you? Is that true of me? God, your name and your renown is the desire of my soul right now. I want, as I walk through this week, to remember... I want to point to Jesus and remember these things that you declared that you are. You're my righteousness. You're my advocate. You're my propitiation. And so therefore, your name and your renown are the desires of my soul as I go through this week. My soul, listen to this sentence. This is amazing. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. This is some awesome, awesome words. These are the words I want to reflect my soul. And as your pastor, who loves you very much, these are the words I want to reflect your soul. I'm not as much as God, but I am jealous for your holiness. I desire it deeply. Because I know that whenever you're walking in holiness, your worship, your fellowship with God is enhanced. And that's what we want. It, if you're honest, that's what you want. I know it's what you want. So we're pointing to Jesus today. For those of you who know Jesus, I'm pointing you to Jesus today to only hope in Him, to stand and let's just sing out to Him how great and glorious He is. Maybe you need to take the first couple minutes to pray and thank God that He's all these things for you and stand and just worship with us. If you don't know Jesus, I just want to offer, you can be saved today. You can have all of the wrath of God intended for you on him and, and not for you. He can be your advocate right now. He can be your righteousness. I'll be right over here during the, during the songs. Come talk to me. We'll have people down front afterwards if you want to pray that would love to pray with you. I'm going to pray and I just ask that during this response time, we, we do this every week. We respond and worship after the hearing of the word. Um, don't let this be a time where you just stand and sing songs on a screen. That's not the design. Um, we are wanting to engage with God we're wanting to not sing words on a screen because that's what's there. We're not just wanting to look at Cameron and say, Cameron, let's sing together. That's not the idea. We want to look through the screen, look through, Christ, through Cameron to Christ and say, Jesus, you're the end. You're not the means to my happy life. You are the happy life because of all these things. Thank you for these things. I want to worship you this morning. If you need to take a couple minutes to prepare your heart, then do it. But Jesus is our goal. He's always the means.
and the end. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. God, I am I'm thankful and I know that I'm not as thankful as I should be, but I want to be for the fact that you're my advocate. That, that right now, as we sing to you in just a few moments, that you are at the right hand of the Father advocating for my soul. That you have declared me righteous. Even when this week I will walk off and question my sincerity because of sin, you are my righteousness. Help us remember that, that you are the propitiation All of the infinite, righteous anger of God that was to be poured out on me was poured out on you, which should cause thankfulness. Lord, help me live in that. Help us live in that. Help us be jealous for our holiness like you are. Help us worship you in spirit and truth this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name.